Well, I want to begin by uh, just taking a moment to express my gratitude and all of our gratitude for last week's um, Easter together. Um, we had just such a great day. Thank you for all of you who brought all the food and prepared it and set up all the tables and made it such a, just such a great time of food and fellowship and um, just enjoyable time together. So I just want to say thank you so much for uh, it was a great day. Um, also, I want to just express my appreciation. It's always nice to look out and see um, visitors and people that I've not gotten acquainted with or haven't even met yet. And uh, don't get all nervous now because I don't, I'm not going to make you stand and give your life story. We're just glad you're here and uh, hope that something of today's time uh, in worship and the time in the Word of God will really be a benefit to you. And God will have uh, something tailored just for you. And um, it's amazing how the Lord does that. Sometimes it's just a phrase. It's just something short within the message itself that's tailored just right for exactly what our soul needs. Well, if you've been here any amount of time, you will become familiar with this. I have a list over at my office, and I believe that it started in 1990, and then again in 1993, and then again somewhere around 1997, and as you can see where I'm going with this, about every three years we return to the same passage of Scripture, and we do so with purpose and with meaning. And the reason that I have brought this message, and of course I tailor it and change it a little as time rolls along, but this passage of Scripture has become so significant to me. Um, it's sort of meat and potatoes for the Christian and for his life in Christ. And I say that because I worry sometimes, if you were me, you would too, that after 32 years of standing in this pulpit, I sometimes I just can't believe you come back and I think how can um, I must seem repetitious to you I just can't imagine how I don't and yet I realize that because it's the Word of God that we are expositing and it's the truth of the scriptures that I bring before you and seek to implant in your hearts that's why it comes with power and is fresh um, when my kids were growing up, in fact, if you want to have some fun sometime when my kids are here, any of my four adult kids, ask them sometimes, by the way, have you ever heard your dad's lecture on consideration? Um, you'll get a kick out of their response because it is a, re a repetitive lesson that I've taught my children since they were young all the way up, and it's called consideration taken to mind others and uh, their predicament, their situation, always be considerate of what they might be going through. And uh, just don't always have yourself at the center. And my kids have always been very responsive to it, but they, I, sometimes they poke fun at how many times Dad has repeated that same lecture. Well, you know... Some of you know where we're going. We're going to 2 Peter chapter 1. And we are practicing again this morning the ministry of repetition. 
because there are some things worth repeating. And if I were to ask uh, you, if the Apostle Peter could sit down with you and talk to you about what's most important in the Christian life, at what stage of Peter's life would you like him to sit down and talk with you? I don't think I would choose early on because though he was powerful in personality, he was often presumptuous. And though he was a man of tremendous courage, sometimes he was quite careless. And we see uh, almost comically at times ourselves in Peter. But what we come to now are Peter's words to each of us. This is a general epistle. It's not written as some of Paul's epistles to the church in Corinth or the church in Colossae. No, Peter writes a general epistle to all the believers who have received a faith of the same kind as ours. And so that takes in every single believer in Christ and he speaks directly to you and to me. And the vantage point from which Peter is about to teach us this morning as the Holy Spirit works through him in the Word is the vantage point of knowing that he is right on the, on the doorstep of eternity. His apostleship is done. He has lived his life out. He's right on the edge. His days on earth are now numbered. And if... If the Apostle Peter were to say anything to me, I would want it to be his last words. Last words. Carry the weight of a whole lifetime of an apostle. Now why do I come back to this message? Why have we preached it about every three years? Because I'm lazy and I don't want to study? No, because every time I come back to it, it bites into me with the same teeth. And it challenges me and it stirs me up to live, to live it out all the way to the last breath. And so when you look at this chapter, we're going to look at verses 12 through 15 so I can show you why. We come back to this, my brothers, my sisters in Christ, you who are believers and, or who are, are seeking to come to the Lord. This is so crucial. And these are, this is what Peter says in verse 12. He says, he writes, Therefore, I will always be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them and have been established in the truth which is present with you. I consider it right, as long as I am in this earthly dwelling, my body, to stir you up by way of reminder. To stir you up by way of reminder. Knowing that the laying aside of my earthly dwelling is imminent, as also our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will also be diligent that at any time after my departure, you will be able to call these things 
to mind. So what is Peter doing? Will the great apostle at the end of his life, knowing that the Lord has revealed to him that martyrdom is imminent and that his departure has, has come, he says here is what is most crucial, most important for your Christian life. And so he says, I write this with one purpose, to stir you up so that you don't become apathetic, that you don't sit on your laurels, that you keep striving to grow in your Christian faith. And I just think it's such a powerful way for Peter to end his life with these words. And so, of course, the, these verses that we just read back us right back up to what's come before it, verses 1 through 11. So with that in mind, I'd like you to look at what I've entitled to stir you up by way of reminder. As he prepares, as, as the apostle prepares to leave this world, he reminds us of three things. And um, we're looking at verses 2 through 4 to start with, actually 1 through 4, which we will call, I remind you of our resources in grace. Our resources that are ours. We are not to live as paupers. We are not to live bankrupt lives. We are to be stirred up, Peter says, to be reminded of the resources God himself has made available to you and to me as believers. So verse 1 reads this way. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. As he prepares to leave this world, the Apostle Peter reminds us, first of all, of our resources in the grace of God. Now, by the way, verse 2 well, let me back up. Verse 1 is a fascinating verse because of the way it is worded. To those, he writes, who have received a faith of the same kind as ours. What does that passage mean? But that if you are a believer with saving faith, because there is such a thing as spurious faith, there's such a thing as temporal faith. A person believes for a little while. 
I call them kind of the bottle rocket Christians. You know, at at 4th of July, we have those bottle rockets, and you stick it in a Coke bottle and light it, and it takes off with, with a bang, and it goes up, and sparks fly, and no sooner does that occur, and it just turns black and fizzles and falls back down, and it's over. I've seen many people make a kind of profession. Uh, Oh, I believe, I've come to believe in the Lord, and they're not a whole lot more than a bottle rocket. And their faith lasts about that long. There's no perseverance. There's no continuance. They don't keep growing and learning. They don't apply themselves. There's all kinds. There's shallow faith, superficial faith. Uh, the, the parable of the soils teach us about that, that there's different soils and some sown along the uh, roadside uh, and the birds of the air come and take the seed of God's word away. There are others that are among the rocky ground. They, they seem to sprout they germinate, they begin to grow, but there's no depth. They're shallow and superficial, and as soon as difficulties come, they shrivel up and fall away. There are these different kinds of faith that fall short of what we would call saving faith, powerful faith, faith that is not really of your making. It is a faith that you receive as a gift from God a sovereign work of his grace in your life. That faith that uh, is the response of a new heart, that response of a new creation, that person whose life has been altered and changed by the sovereign grace of God so that that faith that you hold dear and that you continue to cultivate and grow is a gift from God. Ever think about it? Hebrews 11 verse 6 says, Without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he that comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who seek him. God says, Without faith, you can't please me. And since you don't have any, I'm going to give you faith. I'm going to implant within you by my sovereign grace. I'm going to plant within you a faith that lays hold of me, that unites me and you together. That's faith, saving faith. And you either have it or you don't because it's a work of God's Spirit within us. So Peter is celebrating this and he says, by the way, your faith, this saving faith, is of the same kind, the same quality as us apostles. And that tells us something, doesn't it? It tells us that all believers all over the face of the earth for the past 2,000 years who have come to Jesus Christ, we all have the same quality of faith. You see, it's not individualized. Saving faith is something that God gives to the hearts of those he claims as his own. Are you one of his own? Yeah, aren't you glad? He did that. Now you say, well, pastor, but I had to believe. 
I mean, it's, I'm not a puppet. I'm not a robot. I mean, you know, I, I didn't just go through the motions. I mean, I remember when I came to Christ. And for some of us, it was dramatic. Uh, I, I wept through the night when I came to the Lord, just like the song says. Because I knew what a sinner I was. And I knew how ashamed I felt of how I'd lived. And I knew I needed God's forgiveness. And it was dramatic for me. Not everybody has that kind of experience. But nevertheless, what is it that goes on? I mean, God doesn't repent for me. Right? God doesn't confess my sins for me. God doesn't come and that's, I actually do it, but what's going on then? If faith is a gift from God, what's going on? Well, I think it's this. I think God, in his goodness and mercy, overcomes our resistance to him. That's what's happening. I'm naturally resistant to the Lord until in goodness and grace he overcomes my resistance and faith is born. And so, in a sense, like the psalm says, he makes us willing in the day of his power. When he comes with power and grace, we find ourselves believing and glad that we're believing, right? And we feel like we're doing it, and yet it's a gift that comes from him. Well, I'm going too much on that, but I just appreciate the fact that Peter expressed it that way. And then in verse 2, he's expressing a longing of his heart. Peter is. He isn't saying this is for certain. He's saying, I want grace and peace to be multiplied to you. And this, in the, the mood of this particular term is in the optative mood, which means Peter is expressing as an aged apostle ready to finish his course on earth, Peter's expressing his own heart's longing for the people of God. And, of course, I think he's saying, I want you to know what I've come to know. And Peter would say, you know my story. You know what a roller coaster I was on at times. You remember how I denied the Lord three times, and yet the Lord reinstated me. He drew me back to himself and revealed himself to me after the resurrection, and he called me to feed his lambs and care for his sheep. So Peter's expressing a longing, longing that grace and peace would not just come to you barely divvied out, but come to you and be multiplied in your experience. Well, then these resources that are found in verses 3 and 4, the power of God within us and the promises of God to us. Look at verse 3 again. Seeing that His divine power has granted to us, past tense, everything pertaining to life and godliness. And I, I, I just appreciate, don't you? Here's, the Apostle Peter's over here. He's come through life, and now he's on the edge of eternity. And he's looking back over a lifetime. And he's thinking about these Christians and he wants them to know 
that in your life and in your journey of faith, the same God who has loved me, the God who's been faithful to me, the God who's been at work in me, his divine power has provided everything you need for life and godliness. You know, this may seem like a radical statement, but I think it's theologically accurate. Were not the power of God operating in your life, dear believer, you would fall away. If left to your flesh and to your natural inclinations and propensities, you would fall away. It was the power of God that granted you saving faith at the beginning, and it's the power of God that sustains you every day of your life. And in those times where the trials, the hardships, the questionings, the doubts, the confusion, those things have come into your life, they would have wiped you out were it not for the sustaining power of God operating in your life. He sustains us from beginning to end. And it's his divine power that will take us home. Can you take yourself home? I joked about this a while back, a few years ago. Heaven, I I can't get there. I mean, as simple as that idea is, I can't get there. And mankind, with all of his technology and his, um, his space travel and so on, the best we've been able to do is send something to Mars. We're not even out of our little solar system. And the God who fashioned the vast universe and spoke it into being, who breathed out whole galaxies, who made it all, says Tony, I must get you home. Squat down and jump as high as you can. How vertical can you get? Foot and a half? Some of our more athletic young men might be able to get three feet off the ground. But that's, a far, that's far short, isn't it, of arriving safely home in God's glorious heaven? His divine power from beginning to end. And it's operating in our lives, but in a very practical way, providing us with everything we need for life and for godliness. To stand amidst this crooked generation that we're living in with all their wild and crazy notions. I'm not going to enumerate those notions in case you were wondering. Divine power, but the promises of God. Look how, look how Peter describes the promises in verse 4. He says to us, For by these he has granted to us precious and magnificent promises. That's what we're to live on. Faith lives on the promises of God. Some people have tried and scholars have tried to count the promises of God. Ever tried to count them? 
I mean, I've, I've read, I mean, I've read one guy who had like 680-something promises that he had done, and I applaud him. I mean, that was a feat to study through the scriptures and come up with 680 promises. But I thought to myself when I read that, there are so many more promises than that, you guys. L- listen to me. Every single word of instruction Every word or of command, every single exhortation in Scripture must come with a promise or I would not be, have the enablement to carry it out. So every single promise of God is attached to even every command of God because in the power of the Holy Spirit, this divine power, He's granted us everything we need for life and godliness. And he's saying, Peter's saying, what am I up to here? Why am I telling you all this? Because I want to stir you up to keep growing, keep advancing, keep close to Christ as he is formed in you. Well, number two, having said that, those are the resources God has given us. His power and his promises. Well, Tony, what are you to do? What are you to do, dear believer? You who have received a faith as the same kind as Peter, how are you to live your life now? Shall we just sort of sit back in complacency? God has done it. Am I to now be complacent? Apathetic? Stagnant? You choose the adjective. No. Watch what Peter does. Not only is he reminding us of of our resources in grace, but he reminds us of our responsibility to grow. Look at verse 5. Now for this very reason also, applying all diligence... Applying all diligence, he says. Throw yourself into this, he says. In your faith, supply moral excellence. And in your moral excellence, knowledge. And in your knowledge, self-control. And in your self-control, perseverance. And in your perseverance, godliness. And in your godliness, brotherly kindness. And in your brotherly kindness, love. And then he says in verse 8, For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, They render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Peter says, God has granted you his resources, divine power, 
so that you have everything you need for life and godliness. His magnificent promises so that you may become increasingly a partaker of his divine nature. Having escaped this foul world that is governed by lust. And then he says, now, here's what you do. Apply yourself with all diligence and to the gift that God gave you, saving faith, to that gift, now you supply these qualities. And make sure you're growing in them and they are increasing. It's interesting the way Peter uses these words. Verse 8 is kind of, uh, it caught my attention what he was doing because we all know in mathematics that a, a double negative equals what? A positive. But watch what Peter does. For if these qualities are yours and they're increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful. What's he really saying? He's saying if you have these qualities and they're increasing, you're going to be fruitful and you're going to be useful. But he puts it in that form, I think, just to get our attention with a slight warning in there. Don't get stagnant. Apply yourself with all diligence and grow in character. And I, again, to appreciate this list and appreciate these qualities and this exhortation, because that's what it is. He's exhorting us, stirring us up. Again, remember, this is from the Apostle Peter's vantage point. He's right on the edge of eternity leaving this world. And he looks back at all the believers behind him and that are yet ahead of him and says, Whatever you do, focus on these. Your resources in grace and your responsibility to keep growing. Then thirdly, he says, not only our resources and our responsibility, but Peter, now remember where he's at, right? He's about to leave this world. And he's thinking about his home going. And he wants us to have the same kind of home going that he's anticipating. And what kind of reception is he hoping for? What is it that he's his expectation? Well, that's the third point, our reception into glory. And I, I realize, <laughs> listen to me carefully now, We recognize that we're saved by grace, right? God's sheer saving grace is why uh, we're going to go to heaven. It's all Christ in his perfect righteousness. We, we understand that. Why does Peter use this language? Why does he talk about an entrance into heaven or glory in this way? Look there at verse 10. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and his choosing you. Now, 
We don't talk that way, see? We say, make certain that you have chosen him. Make sure you are calling upon him. And Peter doesn't say that. He says, be diligent to make sure that he called you and that he chose you to be his own. How do you like that? Well, I like it. I rejoice in it, don't you? That God laid hold of me when I was not pursuing him. I was going the opposite direction. I was just a lost American kid following the crowd. And the more I followed them, the more dissatisfied I I became. And the more empty life seemed until he called me and chose me and drew me to himself and granted me the gift of faith. How about you? I mean, really, anybody here arrogant enough to raise their hand and say, oh, no, no, he saw how hard I was pursuing him. Right? I was born with this longing for God, and I pursued him so hard that finally he said, oh, boy, I got to have that one. Is that you? I think not. Oh, what mercy, what grace that he would lay hold of you and me. Be all the more diligent to make certain of his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, what's that? To your faith, moral excellence, to your moral excellence, keep growing in these qualities, increasing, he says. And then he says, as long as you practice these things, you'll never stumble. Now, of course, by that he doesn't mean you'll never mess up or fall into a sin. He's talking about stumbling away. Falling away from the faith. Falling out. That's what he's talking about. And by the way, before we get to this, before we really get to the heart of this, I believe, doctrinally speaking, not to bore you now, but there is a difference and it means a lot to us. There is a doctrine of our security in Christ. And from God's side of things, He says, who shall lay a charge against you? Christ has given his life for you. If God be for us, who can be against us, right? From God's point of view, I'm secure. But the experience of that security, like David prayed, Lord, restore to me the joy of salvation. That experience is different than security. It's what the Bible calls assurance. The assurance of one's salvation. And the assurance of your salvation is something that you experience. It comes with peace. And it comes with power. It comes with joy. It comes with the increasing of these qualities as you continue to grow, Peter says. And then look, here's the point. Verse 11 For if if you will do this, in this way the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ 
will be abundantly supplied to you. <laughs> Who talks like that? Most believers think, oh, we're just all the same run-of-the-mill believers and we all are the same and we all have uh, God's grace and we're forgiven and we know we're going to heaven. Peter's not okay with that. Peter's standing on the edge of eternity. He's about ready to launch into the vista before him of God's kingdom and of his final destiny in his home. And he looks and he knows how he's lived his life out. And he finishes it by being martyred, doesn't he, for the faith. But he looks back and he sees all of us and he says, listen, apply all diligence. Make certain about his calling and choosing you. Make sure you're his and then grow and increase in these qualities. And if you'll do that, there will be not only you won't just eke into glory, but there's going to be a wide-opened arms receiving you, welcoming. There's an abundant reception for those who've lived a godly life, who've lived a persevering life of faith and obedience and growth. And Peter is just settled for nothing less than that we all arrive home safely, but not just safely, but that the entrance will be abundantly supplied to you. Isn't that great? Isn't that what we all want? To arrive home and be welcomed so that we can stand on our feet in the grace of God extend our hands and shake the hands of martyrs, shake the hands of, of, of past, uh, past seers, and shake the hands of those who persevered through difficult seasons of life, shake the hands of those who finished well. Don't you want to finish well? I want to finish well. And so Peter says, listen, I don't apologize for this repetition. We need to be stirred up and reminded. Keep growing. Have a heart filled with the wonder of God's resources, His power and promises. Have a will determined, Lord, by Your grace, I will supply to this saving faith moral excellence and knowledge and self-control and perseverance. Now, my brothers and sisters, we're just about out of time, but there is one thing I want to point out. Every once in a while, I run into a believer who they have professed faith in the Lord for a long time. But as we talk, as we seek to have fellowship, as I listen, hopefully with a discerning ear, as I listen to them, something's wrong. Something's haywire. It's almost as though saving faith or the point of faith, which is the point of commencement, that's where we begin. That's why Peter says, to your faith, add or supply moral excellence and so on. 
I listen to them, and I listen to the way they understand the Bible. I listen to the rabbit trails they go on, and I listen to sometimes the hobby horses of doctrine that they're always landing on. But there's something wrong. Something's amiss. And I can't always put my finger on it, but I have a hunch that this is what happens. Please, listen. If you didn't hear anything else today, listen to this. If you do not strive to supply to your faith moral excellence, then instead of this ascending qualities that grow and increase in your life that make you more and more like the Lord, instead of that, there's a decline that occurs. I would put it this way. Instead of it being the point of commencement where you take off in your growth, instead if it's, it's a point of complacency which results in moral impurity. And to moral impurity, scriptural confusion. And to scriptural confusion, license, looseness, and to looseness, impatience rather than godliness, impatience rather than perseverance, and then selfishness. And then over time, there's this acoustic sort of self-righteous judgmentalism that ends up being maltreatment of others. And in the end, instead of love, there is indifference. You said, Pastor, why'd you do that? Everybody knows the opposite of love is what? Hate. It's really not. There's something worse than hate. And that is, I'm just indifferent to you. <laughs> You're not even worth my you're not even worth the emotion of hate. I just don't care how you're doing, how things are going with you. I just don't care. So I think biblically a good case could be made that the opposite of, hate, uh, of love is just indifference. I only care about me. That's the narcissist at his finest. Life's all about me, not others. Well, Peter's about to finish his course. He's ending his life. And um, those are his final words to us. The Apostle Peter, aged apostle, says, you want to get on? in this Christian life and be prepared for an abundant reception, then live this way. Isn't that a good reminder? Don't we all, is there ever a time when we don't need this? We all need it, right? We need stirred up. Well, Kathy, what, I noticed and you said there, uh, what is it, a, uh, huh? Oh, good. Let's all stand up together.
and thank the Lord for the bond that we have with each other in the faith. And we'll sing the doxology.